0: You'd probably just rather listen, hadn't you? <laughs> I want all you people in these first three rows to shut up right now. You hear me? You hear me? This crowd is still out at the stadium. There was a little overflow of that explosion out there, and they didn't make it yet. I know a lot of people are in the early service this morning. The choir is going to be working themselves to death trying to cover everything now, but that's where a lot of them are. But you that are here, you look good. And we're glad to see you. And now I bet you can sing good. We're not going to do Christmas music because you're going to get a lot of that later in church. So you remember He Touched Me? Let's sing that. Would you stand, please? Oh. As they used to say now, with feeling. (laughs) Shackled
1: by a heavy burden, Neath a load of guilt and shame, Then the hand of Jesus touched me, now I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happen, and now I know He touched me and made me whole. Since I met this blessed Savior, Since He cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise Him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know He touched me. And made me
0: whole. Oh, what a great song. Thank you, Bill Gaither. All right, greet your neighbor now and then be seated. I love it, I love it, I love it. Ralph went out this week and bought me a very nice top-of-the-line
2: up.
3: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone. And I would just like to say if you're visiting this morning, which I don't see any visitors, but maybe we do have some here. Um, if you're visiting this morning, welcome. We're glad to have you as always and hope that you will come back and be with us again. And this is a blessed morning and we have been touched by the Lord. My, I know he's touched my heart tremendously. I uh, praise the Lord for doing that. We uh, usually start off our time just with a brief sharing time. If there's something you'd like to share that God has done in your life this week that uh, you're excited about, that you'd like to share. We'd love to have you do that. We um, have tried to limit our prayer requests a little bit in here because of the time it takes away from Kyle's teaching and makes the class uh, move along a little better. And if you would like to share a prayer request, that would be great. But we would like to encourage you to take the prayer request cards and fill those out because you will have a number of people praying for you very heartily on Monday morning. And, um, for that, and, and, uh, JC's got some of those there in the back. And, uh, JC, where will those be after class? Will they be on the table where the name tags are? Okay, very good. So is there anything that you'd like for us to know about this morning or you'd like to share about? Well, if that's the case. <laughs> Let's uh, let's open with prayer, and uh, we'll see what the Lord has to say to us through our teacher. Okay, so if you'll join with me, let's let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, excited to hear from you, from your precious and wonderful Word, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will move among us this morning to teach us, and especially me, Father, in my heart. I pray that uh, you'll fill Cal with the Spirit as he teaches us that. Um, Father, he has a heart for you, and he's uh, done so much study. We pray that you'll give him remembrance of these things that you would have us hear from him about. Father, we thank you for our wonderful country. We uh, continue to pray, Father, that the gospel will prosper in our country and that uh, you'll save our country. And we pray, Father, also for our church, that it'll continue to preach and teach Uh, the Word of God in a right way, and that uh, you will give our leadership wisdom as they make decisions and protect us from uh, attacks by Satan that might um, damage the ministry here that you, Father, have um, built and that you are using in the lives of so many people to bring them to yourself through Christ. Father, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Well, believe it or not, we did, in fact, finish 1 Corinthians last week, so you don't have to turn to 1 Corinthians today. My daughter walked in and said, what? We're doing something different? (laughs) Eighteen years ago, I taught a series of lessons on questions that people ask Jesus. And at the time, I mentioned there is a flip side of that, which were the questions that Jesus asked other people. Now, there's a lot of intersection between these two sets of lessons because oftentimes the people would ask Jesus a question and Jesus would respond with a question back to them. But what this does is it gives us an opportunity to spend time in the Gospels, not just in the Gospels, but watching Jesus interact with other people, um, talking about the, the reasons that people ask questions to Jesus Uh, Some people wanted information. Some people were uh, trying to trap Jesus by asking him particular questions. Some people were just trying to to make a point. You know, they weren't really interested in the answer. They just wanted to ask the question. You ever have people like that, that uh, they're asking questions, but you know they're not really interested in the answer per se? So we're going to start a series on questions that Jesus asked Primarily to other people. We will find uh, later that there is one question that he asks of God. Uh, namely, why have you forsaken me? And we'll talk about that much later. There's an abundance of material. Because if you go through the Gospels, uh, Jesus is constantly interacting with people. Uh, there are well over a hundred of these questions that Jesus asked different people. Uh, we won't cover all of them. Otherwise, we will be here for a long time, which we'll probably be here for a long time anyway. Um, But they do tend to group themselves, too, because sometimes there'll be a series of questions. He'll ask, you know, this, this, this. Sometimes he'll ask the same question, just in different contexts. And you'll see that in today's uh, question as we discuss um, the situation where Jesus calms the storm. That's the passage that we're going to deal with Today. But before we start this, just a quick question. Why do you think Jesus asked people questions? He was, teaching. he was teaching. To find out where they're coming from. To find out where they're coming from. To get them to think. To give them an opportunity to make a confession. To give them an to make a confession. Why, why do you think I asked this question? <laughs> Go ahead. Focus. If I ask you a question, I may be seeking information. How does this thing work? How do you do this? What do you mean by that? And it generally implies that I, at least at the moment, believe that you know something that I don't know. And I need to ask you a question to extract that information from you. But since Jesus is God, doesn't he know the answers to all of the questions before he asks them? And the answer is, we have lots of yeses. Anybody want to answer no? (laughs) The answer is probably yes. I'm going to talk about the probably in a moment. Okay? The answer is yes. He does know the answers to the questions. So why does he answer the, ask the question? Like God, sometimes he asks questions because he wants you to know the answer, and he wants you to verbalize that answer to him. It's a commitment. It's a commitment. Very good. If you remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden... They eat the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. And they go hide themselves. And God comes and says, Adam, where are you? Now, let's stop right there. Do you think God knew where Adam was? Yes. Do you think God knew what Adam had done? Yes. Do you think Adam knew where Adam was and what Adam had done? Eh, sort of. He knew he had done something he ought not to have done. But he didn't know the consequences of it. So God asked the question not for the benefit of God, but he asked the question for the benefit of the person hearing the question. Sometimes he actually wants an answer when we talk about questions that Jesus asked. You will see in today's question that he really doesn't expect an answer. He is Asking a question because he wants the disciples and he wants us to reflect on what we are doing at a particular point in time. So if you would turn to Matthew 8 verse 23 and we will read the passage. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Okay, we're starting in the middle of a story. Back in verse 5, we see that Jesus had entered the town of Capernaum. Capernaum is on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had been teaching. We have the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7. He spends the bulk of chapter 8 healing people. So he is in Capernaum. He has been healing people. People are coming from all around. There's crowds of people. And Jesus decides to go someplace else. So, he got in the boat and his disciples followed him. They're at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee and they're in a boat. They're going to go to the place where, remember, the um, demon possessed man is and the demons get taken from the man and put into the pigs. That's on the eastern coast of the Sea of Galilee. So he's going to take a little jog across the lake and end up over there. On that eastern side of the Sea of Galilee are the Golan Heights, what we call today the Golan Heights. And that is significant to our story because there are these little mountains over there, not the biggest things in the world, but mountains, and the winds come over them, hit the Sea of Galilee, and storms can pop up rather quickly. I might also add, before the current Israelis reoccupied the Golan Heights, the Arab community would sit up there with the artillery and bomb ships in uh, in the Sea of Galilee, made fishing a little sporting. Eventually they decided that they needed to capture and regain the Golan Heights to keep that from happening. So you see the geography of where we are. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, and here's the question for today's lesson. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and said and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. It is a story that's familiar to most of us, but I think we need to think about it. The question that Jesus asked is, Why are you so afraid? And the answer is in the question, which is, Because you are people of little faith. Why are you scared? Why are you scared of the storm that's on the lake? Why are you scared of the storms in life? And the answer is because we are, in fact, people of little faith. So let's look at this and tear it apart piece by piece. Without warning, verse 24, "...without warning a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the, waters, the waves swept over the boat..." but jesus was sleeping as i said sudden storms are not that abnormal on the sea of galilee they were not in a very big boat it is interesting there's a museum at the northern end of the sea of galilee that has a fishing boat of this time period in it the remains of it they'd actually the thing had been sunk in the mud and they dug it out and uh i mean taking great care to preserve what little of it's left. And it isn't a very big boat, particularly when you consider there's 13 men in this boat. So they're in this boat. Even on the best of days, it's probably riding rather low in the water. And all of a sudden, here come these waves that are sweeping over the boat. So what do you think the disciples are doing at this point? Come on, bailing. They are bailing, they are praying, They are worrying, they are concerned, they are anxious, they are in a tizzy. What are they worried about? (laughs) Dying. (laughs) Okay? That kind of focuses your attention, right? You're in a boat, you're in the middle of a storm, and you can see your life flashing before you. And they are scared to death. I'm going to ask a question, and this is an easy question, maybe. Where did the storm come from? Go ahead. Geographically, it comes from that desert that's coming from the eastern part of it, mm-hmm. uh-huh. the storm. What? And it's just a Toronto kind of thing. Yeah. So, geographically meteorologically, we know what causes storms. But I ask the question again, where did this storm come from? It came from God to test their faith. Let me tell you why I'm asking the question, and we'll talk about it a little more in a moment. Jesus, as we well know, we just read the story, and you've read this story all your life, Jesus is going to stop the storm. If Jesus was going to stop the storm, why didn't Jesus just stop the storm before the storm started? He could do that, couldn't he? Anybody want to argue that he couldn't do it? If he can do it then, why can't he do it before He needed the storm. Why? The disciples needed the storm. It provided a testimony of who he actually is. is. You become a Christian at some point in your life. Okay? You accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Uh, It's a very... um, Uh, Excited moment in your life. Things are going great. Life is good. What a friend we have in Jesus. You and Jesus are holding hands walking through life. And you expect a bed of roses. You don't expect storms. Why don't you? Because I have Jesus here. I have God incarnate with me. Why do I still have to put up with the storms? And that's the question we ask. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, there was a professional football player a couple of weeks ago who missed a catch in overtime and lost the game. I'm not naming any names. And that he lost. I mean, he literally had the ball in his hand, and he literally dropped it. Would have won the game for him. So he leaves and he tweets to all of his fans God, I pray to you every day, and this is what you do to me. Why did you do it? We believe that if I'm walking hand in hand with God, if I'm in the boat with Jesus Christ, there shouldn't really be any storms. That's an anomaly. That shows that something's not working. Huh? Yeah. That is exactly right. Her observation was maybe he just wants to teach them what real faith is. Remember back to the Sermon on the Mount. I quote this all the time because I do like it so much. He gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and he says those who... Hear these words and put them into practice are like people who build their lives on the rock. And when the storms of life come, not if, when the storms of life come, it stands. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in the scripture are we promised a life of no storms. Not only that, we don't get to choose the storm. Sometimes we look at somebody else's life and says, well, I could put up with that storm, but I can't put up with this one. God sins. God allows the storms to occur so that his faith, that his glory and his power will be shown. We don't like that. I know what some of you are thinking, because I'd be thinking the same thing. That's easy for you to say because blank hasn't happened in your life, whatever the blank is. And you know what? You're right. You're right. It is easier to talk about. When you're in the boat, when you're in the boat and the waves are coming over the side of the boat... You're thinking about bailing water, and then you look at Jesus, and he's sleeping in the front of the boat, or the back of the boat, or somewhere in the boat. Jesus is asleep. Now, if there was ever a sign that he was unconcerned about their lives, I mean, here we are panicking Here we are, bailing for our lives, and Jesus is asleep. The nerve of him. Who gave him permission to sleep in the middle of my storm? Psalm 4.8 says, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's David talking. And if there's anybody that had a stormy life, that's David Some of it caused by his own doings. Some of it just caused because one day this guy shows up and anoints him king while there happens to be another king. (laughs) Kind of ticked off the other king. Jesus was asleep in the boat. Jesus was asleep because he was physically tired. He was a human being. He had been ministering nonstop for who knows how long. He was exhausted, and you know what? He recognized that God was taking care of the universe. So he went to sleep. But that really irritated the disciples. So the disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. Question, what do you think the disciples wanted Jesus to do? Or I guess I should say, what do you think they expected him to do? Stop the storm? storm? Nope, I don't think so. I don't think they had a clue that he could do that. Start bailing. bailing. That's my opinion. That is my opinion about what they wanted to do. You know, if I'm treading water, if I'm bailing water, I sure want you doing it too. Jesus, you're asleep. You're messing up our day. Come on, start bailing water with the rest of us. That's my opinion, okay? Maybe they had a little more faith than that. Maybe they expected some miraculous thing. All I know is when we get to the end of the passage and he does the miraculous thing, they're shocked. They're shocked, but they want his attention. I think they just want him to worry with the rest of them. Doesn't it really irritate you when you're worried about something and someone else isn't? I mean, doesn't that really tick you off? It does me. I mean, I'm worrying about something and somebody else just doesn't care at all. And I'm going, gosh, that's not fair. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. You are going to, we are going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He had done miracles. He had been healing people. Okay. Well, you and I know that because we, we've read this story a few times. Her observation is why are they shocked later when he performs a miracle because he had already been doing miracles. But let's face it. You know, you go to the faith healer, you know, the TV guy, and he makes it look like the crippled person was crippled but not anymore, and he's healed and sort of, and okay, it was some trick. I don't know. I mean, really, I mean, how did it happen? I don't know. It was a miracle. Great, wonderful. But that's a little bit different than talking to a storm and the storm stopping we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Yes, Mike. You know, up to this point,
3: he's, Jesus is pretty much, they've been watching him, he's had the answer for everything. Mm-hmm. And so, the fact that they said, save us, they mm-hmm. asked him to save us, I i think that they probably thought, well, he maybe he's got some kind of answer. <laughs> but is that an answer for everything. else? Yeah. They're not thinking that he could stop the storm. Right. You know. But you, maybe he's got the answer.
2: He you you, you, you have to give them points. Yeah. At least they came to the right person. Okay? No, I mean, really, you have to give them points for that. They came to the right person, and they wanted something from him. My contention is they didn't know what they wanted. All they knew is they didn't like where they were, which was in the boat in the middle of the storm. Yes? (laughs) That's very good. They had seen other people get healed, but it wasn't their storm. It was somebody else's storm. All of a sudden, it's personal, real personal, real quick. Save us. And Jesus replies, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? First observation is that he answers his own question, as I said a while ago. The question is, why are you so afraid? Well, to me, that's almost a nonsensical question because I know the answer. They're scared of dying. They're scared of drowning, not the most pleasant way. These were fishermen. Some of them were fishermen who had grown up on this lake. Who knows this boat probably belonged to the family of one of them. They knew about the lake. They'd probably seen people drown and Some of the bodies float up. Some of them don't. Who knows? Who wants to die that way? They were scared of dying. They were scared of everything associated with dying the pain, the suffering, the anguish for the family. Why are you afraid? We're afraid because we know what can happen. Physically, mentally, we've got a clear picture of the consequences of being in this storm. We're not idiots. We know what can happen. And that was probably the fishermen. Then you got the people who weren't fishermen that were on the boat, and who knows what they were thinking. Being scared was the natural response to the environment in which they were at that point. But Jesus answers the question in the question By telling them the reason that you're scared is because you don't have faith. So, what is the faith that they don't have? They didn't really know him. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know what what he was capable of. They didn't know that he had a mission and God was going to protect him until that mission was complete. In the same way that they had a mission and God was going to protect them until that mission was complete. Now, does that mean that it would have been impossible for them to drown? Well, it would have been impossible if God had not willed it. It is interesting to me, one of my all-time favorite stories, you're very familiar with it, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down to the golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar. They refused to do it. King Nebuchadnezzar drug him in front and said, he was livid at him, and he said, are you going to bow down? And and they said, no. And he said, they answered the king and they said, our God is... Can save us can save us from your fire. But he's going to save us. But if he chooses not, let it be known we're still not going to bow down. Do you see the separation? He can save us from the fire, but irregardless of the fire, he's going to save us. Whether we drown, I mean in the fire, whether we get burned up or whether we don't get burned up, God is going to save us. But either way, we're going to do what God wants us to do. You get over into the book of Hebrews and you look at the chapter about the roll call of the faithful. Those people who did what God asked them to do and died for their faith. Sometimes they die. But that doesn't mean they lost. It means that God saved them in another way. We tend to look at this life as being all there is. The disciples in the boat were going to accomplish God's purpose, whether in that boat or in the rest of their life. But either way, God was going to save them. Faith is inversely proportionate to the fear that you're demonstrating in your life. Why are we scared of whatever it is we're scared of? Be- what? Very good. What did he mean by little faith? Oftentimes we think of faith as being, what's the old joke about pregnant? You're either pregnant or you're not. There's not one that's kind of almost pregnant. Okay. Okay. And sometimes we think of faith as you either have faith or you don't have faith. In reality, everybody has faith in something. Everybody has a little bit of faith and a little bit of something and a little bit of that. What we need to do as believers is to grow in our faith. Look at the life of Abraham. We know that at some point in Abraham's life, God is going to ask Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now, in the New Testament, we know that Abraham believed that God was capable of raising his son from the dead. Why did Abraham believe that? Where did Abraham get that faith that allowed him to believe that God could do that? He got that faith because he had been walking with God and believing God for all of his adult life. When God... Hmm? And got Sarah pregnant. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. So, Abraham started his life of faith with... This much faith. I don't know how big that is, okay? That is not a technical measurement. With this much faith. And as he walked with God, God produced more and more faith in his life. Till he got to the point where God could say, Now I know that you'll do whatever I ask you to do. Because of faith. Jesus was not telling the disciples you don't have any faith. I mean, let's face it. Some guy's walking down the seashore, and he says, you, fishermen, come with me. It takes a certain amount of faith to drop your nets and follow the guy. Either that or you really hate fishing. Okay? They had a certain amount of faith. They were building their faith. They were growing in their faith. But what God is pointing out is that I can tell you where you are in your walk of faith by the level of things that scare the bejeebers out of you. What scares us? You know, there's those lists of the top ten things that scare people. I think the top of the list is always speaking in public. I think death is like number two or three. Okay, Speaking in public is at the top. As believers, what scares us? Sharing our faith with others? Worrying about our kids? Me, okay. Worrying about, I mean, you can, li- you can make the list. I don't have to make a list for you. You could sit at home tonight and write down your list. I go through it in my head every night when I go to bed. I mean, oh. Why do those things scare us? Because we have a little faith. We have some faith. Like I said, you've got to give the disciples points. They at least went to the right guy. Okay? If I were in the boat, and I've got four or five fishermen in the boat, and I've got this tax collector in the boat... I'm not going to go to the tax collector and ask what to do about it. I'm going to go to the fishermen because they've been out on the water, right? They've got experience. They're familiar with this stuff. And then I've got this other guy over there asleep, so we'll ignore him. I'll go with the fishermen. But at least they were smart enough to go to Jesus. And Jesus told them, this is a demonstration that your faith still needs to grow observation go ahead mike
3: well i was just going to say they have been with him they had seen him uh heal i believe it was peter's mother-in-law mm-hmm. and they've seen him heal the centurions was it his servant I believe yeah he healed. and he and and so they. it's like he's taking them through the tests of belief mm-hmm. this one is pretty major in my opinion i mean yeah. I, you know you see a guy heal, that's one thing if you tell the storms. The well,
2: I, I like Mary's observation. Was it your observation? This was, this was their storm. Yeah. Okay? This, was a big deal. this is a big deal to them. It's their life that's on the line. They went to him as a last resort. We wouldn't do that, would we? You of little faith, why are you so afraid? The observation of the whole lesson. Okay, here it is. I believe God is constantly coming to us and asking us, why are you still afraid? Why are you still worrying about things that you have no control over? We'll have a comment in a moment about the fact that, you know, if there is something you can do, God does give us abilities. God does expect us to do certain things. But the disciples couldn't do anything about this storm. Nothing. Why are you still worrying about it? Oh, ye of little faith. Then he got up. This is Jesus. He got up and rebuked the winds and the waves. I like that word. Why rebuke? Why rebuke? Why not just talk to? Why not speak to? Why not in a calm voice Please, kind waves, stop that. Why rebuke? Control. Control. He is demonstrating who has the control. Now, we can get into this big discussion. Was Jesus a control freak or not? Okay? I hate to tell you, Jesus is God. He's in control. He's not a control freak. He's not acting like he has powers that he doesn't have. He is God. And he turns to the winds and says, Stop that. What do you think you're doing? Something, I'm sure he said it in a different language. <clears throat> he rebuked the winds and the waves, he didn't suggest things to them. He didn't make an observation that it would be better if they did something else. He told them with the voice of authority to stop. And it was completely calm. We have any physicists in here? A little engineering would do fine. King James English. uh, Uh, The Arabic? Arabic? Aramaic. Aramaic. Yeah. 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 Um, They were probably speaking kind of a conglomeration of Hebrew, Aramaic. They were (laughs) multilingual by our standards today. That's not a very smart thing to do. (laughs) His power and authority. Go ahead. That's an interesting observation. Did you all hear that? Maybe she was rebuking Satan. Maybe Satan sent the storm. Hmm. That's an interesting observation. (laughs) I'm not convinced we're having any more. We just talk about them a lot more. But let's look at this from a physics standpoint. Okay? Okay. Waves contain energy. You have a wave moving, and it is this huge amount of mass. I mean, water is actually pretty heavy stuff. You have this mass of energy at some velocity. Force times velocity equals... Anyway, you have all of this energy that, under normal circumstances, has to be dissipated somewhere. The storm stops under normal circumstances, and the waves chop around for a long time, beating against the shore, taking that energy, and it has to go somewhere. You know, I've always, my, one of my daughters asked me just yesterday, you know, what is a tidal wave? The thing that's always fascinated me about tidal waves, out in the open sea, a tidal wave may only be this high but it's got a huge amount of energy traveling at a very high speed. It hits the continental shelf, and that wave that's right here grows to be this massive wave because all that energy has to go somewhere. And once it hits shallower water, the only place for it to go is up, and you end up with a massive wave. Jesus spoke, and it was calm. Jesus spoke, and all of this energy went away. The disciples had been in storms before, those that were fishermen. They had seen storms. They had seen storms come. They had seen storms go. I mean, they'd come up quick, and they'd stop quick. But even when they stopped, there were choppy seas. My observation, a sheet of glass. That's my observation. The Sea of Galilee was a sheet of glass. And what did the disciples do? The men were amazed. I believe that's an understatement. I believe they were shocked I believe they were scared to death. Why? What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You know, the fishermen in the boat understood storms. They were scared of them. They were smart enough to be scared of them, but they understood them. That was within their realm of experience and knowledge They weren't used to men telling the storm to stop and the storm obeying. What does this teach us about the man, Jesus Christ? It teaches us that he is God. This wasn't a normal human being sitting in the boat with them. This was God sitting in the boat. Now, it is interesting. Sometimes there's a discussion about when Jesus became human, what happened to his divine attributes? Did he not have them is the observation. Uh, For example, uh, we know that God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. But Jesus had a physical body which by definition limits you to a particular point in space. The verse in Philippians teaches us, we, who, being in the very nature of God, this is talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The observation, the, the picture that I like to keep in my mind, is that when Jesus became human, God, Jesus, took his divine attributes and put them on the shelf. He still had them, but he, under the leadership of God the Father, because we know that he submitted himself to the will of the Father, chose not to use those attributes usually. But occasionally, God the Father would tell God the Son, go ahead, Son, show him what you can do. And Jesus would take that omnipotence off the shelf and say, storm, stop. And the storm stopped. And the people, the disciples, said, oh, my, this isn't a human being. This is God in the boat with us. My opinion, it scared the bejeebers out of them. They got a glimpse of who God was, who Jesus was, and it scared them in a good way. In a good way. When we look at the storms of life and are scared of them, it is because we don't have faith. When we see the power of God, and we're scared of that, we are learning what it means to fear God, to live in awe and reverence of God in such a way that the storms, all of a sudden, are the least of our problems. God takes care of the storm.
1: Mm-hmm. And, this, and Jesus stood up and he said, Be still. Mm-hmm. Is that a man of faith? Is that Jesus, the man of faith, who has
2: the faith of a mustard seed that can move a mountain? Jesus had more faith than a mustard seed. Right. <laughs> he is demonstrating to us the faith that we need to have. Right. 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 I, I think Jesus' faith was a little bit above a little. right you if you believe what god says is going to happen yeah. I think, I think it's what right so. <laughs> we'll have a long discussion about that john 9 3 the last half of it remember this passage is uh it's the question about why was this man born blind did he sin did his parents sin did somebody sin and Jesus answered, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Why did the storm happen? That's where we started this, remember? Couldn't Jesus have stopped the storm before it happened just as easily as stopping it after it happened? Yes, he could have. But he didn't. Why? So that the work of God could be displayed. God is making us into a certain kind of people. He is making us into peoples, persons, (laughs) that demonstrate the glory of God. And you know what? Living a life on a bed of roses isn't the way to do that. God is going to allow storms in our life to manifest his power and his glory there was another verse that i liked at first you may think this has absolutely nothing to do with the lesson this is over in Acts. peter has been captured taken prisoner and is about to appear before herod who does have the power of life or death over peter the night before herod was to bring him to trial peter was sleeping let's stop right there what was Peter doing? Okay, this is easy. What was Peter doing? Sleeping. I don't know about you, but you know, if my life is on the line the next day, if I'm going to go before Herod, who does in fact have the thumbs up, thumbs down on my life, if I'm sitting here chained between two guards, if I've got gu- I'm not going to be sleeping. Why? Because I have little faith. At this point in Peter's life, he had lived with Jesus for three years. He had seen the resurrected Lord. He had seen the power of God. And you know what? Peter got to the point where he could sleep in the middle of the storm. There wasn't anything for him to do. The verses before this say that he was praying. Okay, great, do that. Singing hymns of praise, great, do that. And you know what? He had done everything he could do. So he went to sleep. Peter was in that boat when Jesus said, O ye of little faith, why are you so afraid? But But Peter had walked the life of faith. He had taken the little faith. And groan it and groan it and groan. And to the point that he got where he could live the life of faith in the midst of whatever storm popped up in his life. I might add, the angel showed up, took those chains off of him, walked Peter out of that prison, and Peter didn't meet Herod the next day. God had something else in mind. What's the conclusions? Our fears reveal our lack of faith. Bottom line. Okay? The fear may be totally rational. Okay? Let's dismiss for a while irrational faith. The fear may be totally rational. These disciples knew what life was like on the Sea of Galilee. A reasonable person would have been scared of the storm in that situation. But ultimately... It shows a lack of faith. It shows that we don't really believe that God will and can take care of us. Number two, Jesus is God. Can I make it any clearer? The power that God has, Jesus has. What a friend we have in Jesus. It's not a buddy-buddy that will sympathize. He does sympathize. But it is, a, it is God himself who is helping us through our life. God allows the storms in order to show his glory and to build our faith. If we had another hour, we'd have a whole discussion about building our faith. But in my opinion, building our faith basically boils down to this. God tells you to do this little thing. You either do it or you don't do it. If you do it, God gives you enough faith for the next thing. And you do it or you don't do it, the next thing, dot, dot. If you say, no, God, I'm not going to do that, your faith doesn't grow. Faith is like a muscle. You put it into practice and it grows. Secondly, faith grows as we increase our understanding of who God is. If we believe God is this big then our faith will be this big. If we believe God is infinite, what are they going to do to us that God is not in control of? Our faith grows when we exercise it. Our faith grows when we learn more about who God is. How do we learn more about who God is? We learn the scripture. And finally, when the storms come, do what you can. We are responsible for doing things. God gave us the ability to do things, okay? If there is a fire, you get the fire extinguisher and you try to put the fire out. God gave you a mind. He expects you to do things. But at some point, there's nothing you can do. And then the observation from the passage is go to sleep. Maybe not literally. Maybe. I don't know. Have the faith that God will deal with the things that God can deal with. Now, once again, I know what you're thinking. But you don't know my storm. And you know what? You're right. I don't. I have trouble with the storms in my own life. There are some of you in here who have storms that I could not begin to deal with. God does not give me the faith to deal with your storms. He gives me the faith to deal with mine. I can choose to do it or not. I can still, I mean, you know, that's my choice. We as a community need to support each other in the midst of life's storms. There are some nice verses dealing with that. We need to show sympathy. We need to help. We need to do what we can do. But recognizing that ultimately God is interested in the glory of God. Sometimes we will live like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes we will be stoned to death like Stephen. But whether we live or die... God is accomplishing his purpose. Was Stephen less righteous than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because he died? No. had absolutely nothing to do with it. God had a plan. God was going to accomplish his plan. Do we understand it? We'll get to heaven someday, and we'll look back at our life, and we'll go, Ah, that's what you meant by that. That was really cool. The disciples, 20 years after being in that boat with Jesus, would look back at that event and go, I was in a storm and Jesus stopped it. There isn't any other storm to worry about because he can stop those too. But they could do that because they had survived the earlier storm. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are, in fact, guiding us, helping us, holding us through life. And I pray, Lord, that you would grow our faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.